8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Gada. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Gada. The Viewpoint, it certainly is. Welcome indeed. Welcome to the show. Welcome by listening, but engaging a step further by listening. You're engaging already, okay, which is all ears in this case here. You can take it a step further by calling in 891 Save that number like permanently. And if you are tweeting, it's hashtag SFM Viewpoint. That's the tweet uh, handle you need to use. And then tweet me, Ashraf Ganda, as well as tweets to SFM Radio. And when you do that, I'd love it when you tweet and quote the guests, but also... Give your own opinions because it is called the viewpoint. Sometimes we'll pick out a few and read them on the air. Sometimes we'll look at those questions. Sometimes I'll just retweet them depending on what they really may be. But I want to get your opinions uh, no matter where you may be. You can also SMS us 40938. 40938. We'll have regular crossings through tonight's um, show with the World Cup match England, rather Egypt against Russia. That game has just kicked off. By my understanding, Egypt absolutely has to win. A defeat would see them out of the World Cup. A draw. Hanging by a thread. We'll update you. Mohamed Salah clearly playing. Let's get to bigger issues right now in our country, which is issues on land, issues of the economy, and a whole lot more <coughs> inequality and all of that. And to help us with answers, our big hitter for the night is Leon Lowe, the executive director of the Free Market Foundation. Leon, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in. Ashraf, to you and the visitors, it's great to be with you. Thank you. You're the big hitter I mean, for the... the visitors. I mean the listeners. Well, they are visitors. <laughs> they, they, they are they visitors, sort of, of course. Sneaking yeah. in, uh, snooping into our discussion here. Great. Let, let's get it in terms of the Free Market Foundation. <coughs> Sorry, up front about... Not even land. We'll get to that just now. What you believe... I've spoken to you before. You're, you're hell-bent on capitalism is the way to go. Free market. That's it. Why? Well, uh, firstly, I never use the word capitalism myself. I talk about the market being free. You know, people call uh, apartheid capitalism. Clearly, it wasn't free. So, so uh, I want people to be free. We in the Free Market Foundation are best described, I suppose, as libertarian. We want liberty. We want people to their own lives. Uh, we want uh, people to be able to agree or consent to anything. And sometimes this gets us into controversial water. For example, on smoking. I'm a lifelong non-smoker. I hate smoker, but I believe in the right of people to smoke and enjoy smoking. And uh, so we defend smokers and we defend drinkers and we defend people who overeat, who are obese or rest too much. Or so. Mm-hmm. so we defend freedom. That's really the issue for us. Oh, therefore, the, the libertarian. That, that the, libertarian. The best word for that is libertarian or classical liberal. It's liberty. Uh, capitalism, un- unfortunately, means uh, nothing very specific. It just okay. means... Uh, I, 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 okay, having said that, I mean... We can talk about smoking, but I have a sense we're not going to smoke. No, 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 no. I don't want we to talk, talk about, about smoking. We may talk about maybe yeah. more than smoking. But but let's talk about about economic systems. Yes. So where where does where do you where does the free market foundation stand with regard to well I'm going to say capitalism or this what I call this yeah, yeah, free yeah. market here. Yeah. Well, as our name implies, we want the market to be free. But let's say it's not really about an economic system. It's about a civil liberties, about free personal liberty. Let me give you a simple example. Uh, the Johannesburg City Council drove 6,000 street traders off the streets in 2014. Uh, they did it in a most obnoxious and vicious way with horses and dogs and mm-hmm. this private hit squad called the Red Ants. And uh, these are people, single mothers who couldn't feed their kids, who couldn't go to school the next day. Just a, a horrendous insult to human 
dignity, human nature, human survival. We were instrumental to bringing an urgent constitutional court case. I think it was the fastest case ever ruled by the constitutional court. The city council had to let them back, and that's why they are there now. So are we interested in their economic freedom? Yes, we are. We want the people, the consumers to be free to buy and the street vendors and informal traders to be free to sell. But more importantly, actually, we're interested in the human rights. We're interested in the rights of ordinary, particularly the poor, the rich can look after themselves. That's mm-hmm. why capitalism doesn't really suit us. They're big and ugly enough to look after themselves. We're interested in looking after the poor. For example, my current big job, my passion mm-hmm. at the moment, is trying to get informal settlements formalized, to get them title deeds, to get them the right to build homes, to stop this law, this bank of laws, town planning laws, building laws, so-called safety and health laws that force people to live in destitution, misery, and well, poverty. Well, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, so, yeah. so okay, well, well, two things. First of all, from a free market foundation point of view, what then are you? Are you a, are you a pressure group where you, where you see injustice or you see liberty is being eroded and you then go on the side of, of those who are affected? Good question, Ashraf. Afra, uh, we are a think tank and think tanks usually do what we call aerial bombardment. Mm. They do research and publications and submissions and high-level intellectual stuff uh, that you do behind a desk. But we're also what we, we also do what we call trench warfare. Uh, that is, we're an activist group. We mm-hmm. get involved out on the streets. We get dust on our boots. We fight for uh, communities ranging for, for the poor mainly, mm-hmm. but also for the rich. You know, we fight for the right of MTN and Vodacom to own networks and provide uh, the poor uh, with with uh, cell phones and data and so on. So we will fight for the rich and the poor on one simple principle. People should be free to interact with each other. That means for me, for example, gay marriage. It means for me uh, freedom for for sex workers. It means for me the right to take drugs. It means I just want you to be free. I want you to control your life and your body. That's the principle. But now, that how that come tr- with lim- limitations, right? There has to be. Well, the limit is, you know, let's take. Uh, we don't want to discuss smoking, but it's a nice analogy mm-hmm. to use. Uh, you are free to wave your fist around in the air right now, as we sit here mm-hmm. in the studio. But you're not free to wave it where my nose is. Similarly, you're free to blow smoke around in the air, but not where my nose is. So that means the freedom is limited to. To, to, my, to, to my space, but yes. it mustn't impact on your space you, unless you allow that. Correct. You want to join that? Space. Oh, if I agree to uh, sadomasochistic sex or yeah. whatever, yeah. then absolutely I'm free to do that. I can be free to to take risks. I climbed Kilimanjaro. The, many people have died trying to do that. So yes, we should be free to do risky things. We should be free to consent to anything. And in fact, the way to know what I think and most of free market foundation people think about anything is ask one simple question: Did those involved consent to it? If people agree to it, then the government and the rest of us should stay out of the way. If they don't agree to it, then we should protect those who don't agree. In other words, you and I should be free to do whatever we like with each other. Uh, you know, capitalist acts between consenting adults, uh, and no one else should interfere okay, with us. Okay, we'll pick up on those and how far we can stretch those uh, civil liberties in, in a moment. L- let's get to this important point that you pick up, your your current uh, uh, issue, which is informal settlements, uh, to, to convert them into what? Permanent 
settlements, right? Yes. The law what, the, what are you doing? The law at the moment is really quite simple. It says you either have to live in destitution with open sewers and squalor and filth, or you have to be in the first world. You can't incrementally be between the two somewhere. Uh, what we are saying, this is a violation of the right to human dignity. It's the violation of the right to housing. It's the violation of the right to a healthy and safe environment. And that what people living in informal settlements should be allowed to do is improve their own living standards. Preferably, they should be helped. And, and have they been denying that? Just, just that oh, yes. They, so? Okay, hold, hold that thought because I want to get onto that. Here, there. And everywhere. SAFM 106.1 FM in Bombela. Hey, I'll take your calls too as we chat to Leon Lowe, who's the, well, he's the big hitter. That's the first description. Our big hitter for the night, but he's also the executive director of the Free Market Foundation. 089 That's the calling number. Tweets. SAFM viewpoint would be that hashtag and then tag me as well as tag uh, SAFM radio. So, Leon, okay, we were talking about informal settlements. So, they obviously developed organically, right? Yes, most of them have and uh, they're uh, they're a terrible tragedy in South Africa. They're about... uh, something like 1.4 million houses in, or settlements and in informal settlements, nobody really knows, uh, but a few million people living there. The one I'm closely involved with is called Marathon and Delport mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in what most people know as Germison and Kuruleni, and uh, there are probably about uh, forty or 50,000 residents there. And you said, uh, are the laws against them? Yes, the law absolutely prohibits them improving their own lifestyle. They are not allowed to own their land. They're not allowed to get security. In this particular case, the council got an eviction order for everyone who lives there. They'll just be kicked off. They'll get no compensation for being kicked off. Yes, they they are they are as big as suburbs that, that we live in, right? Correct. In terms correct, of numbers. So we're correct. not talking about a hundred shacks sort of just there no, temporarily. No, we're talking about into full-on suburbs. big towns or cities. We're talking about people with skills, with businesses. Uh, uh, they're very dynamic communities and uh, the town planning law says that they may not uh, improve their environment unless they become a proclaimed town, which means they have to have first world standards. So has there been any informal settlement that has now been declared a fully fledged suburb or township? None that I know of, and I hope that we will be the people who do the first one. And then that'll be a model that we hope every other one in South Africa can follow. What is government's position on this? Government's position is bizarre. It says that they have to continue living in this terrible state. It says they should all be evicted. They're all illegal uh, tenants and squatters. And uh, that they will be given RDP houses, which in fact they aren't given. So they're all on the waiting list, and the waiting list for many people lasts forever. Uh, Now we're talking about a full generation since 1994. And of course there was government housing under apartheid. It was the same policy that the government will house them all when they, uh, when they and can. the reality is they don't and people in these shanty towns have just and I call them slums by the way because informal settlements and shanties makes it sound much nicer than it actually is. We need to get back to understanding the way these people are forced to live is completely despicable and unacceptable well, when and the, the government's policy is to keep yeah. them there. Well if I can remember initially in the last days of apartheid when these uh, homes that are springing up. It was called squatter camps. And then yes. there was this idea of, you know, 
desensitize, make it a nice word, and then informal settlements. Are you suggesting that actually that's counterproductive? It needs to be said and described as it is. Yes. Let me make this point clear. I work with them. These are wonderful, decent Mm. people, and you'd be surprised how bright they are and how dynamic their lives and economies are. But if we call them slums, then people will get a better feel for what they are condemned to and where they are being kept. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm for resurrecting the word slum. These are slums. They're ghastly conditions under which decent, nice, often very bright, very industrious and productive people are forced to live in slums. So I want to separate the quality of life, which is a slum, from the people whose human dignity mm. has been uh, has been assaulted. Okay, what what, what would be your thrust? Because I mean, we'll move on, but what's likely to happen? What has not happened in over two decades? Well, what we are planning to do is we are saying that these people should be allowed to get title, they should be allowed to get mortgages, they should be allowed to get loans, they should be allowed to own their properties, they should be able to re- replace a box on a tin shanty with a permanent structure, three or four stories, they should be able to combine in what I call uh, mini sectional title units, and that if the council, in this case we're going for the Germiston council, it could be any one of the others, or Kuruleni, uh, we are saying if they do not amend their laws to allow for these people to improve their quality of life, we will take them to the Constitutional Court and we hope to get the law declared unconstitutional and thereby to liberate everyone living in Islam. Okay, that's an important point. I will get to some calls as well. We will talk about expropriation without, um, then expropriation without compensation and a whole lot of other things as well. 891 Victor, welcome to the show. Hi, Victor. Hello, Ashra. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Go ahead. What's your view? Uh, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you. You know, this gentleman, let me just be nice to him for a change. To start with, shall I say, is he a born Latin Christian? If so, uh, is he an African speaking person? If you can say yes, then I can carry on. Ask him. Is he, okay, why, why does it matter? T- t- tell us no, that. there's something I want to say. Okay, because there. I'll tell you why. We're talking about race after 9 o'clock, okay? Yeah, All right. but now just, I want to tell you something. Okay, let me, let me not even assume anything. His name is Leon Lowe, but, but maybe he's, he's there, from somewhere else. He's there for the majority to see they just be living in a squalor and whatsoever. Where was he over along? It's like for okay, but, but hold like it. Okay, let me, let me just say this much. I mean, you can you can make your point. Okay, but but you can make your point. But but Victor, wishing them luck and But Victor, you can make your point. No, Victor, you're not listening. You can make your point. I mean, if you're saying where was he all these years, we can say the same thing about where was the ANC before 1990 and where were <coughs> where were they before that? You know, there are lots of things that come into play. <coughs> Victor's gone. Perhaps, um, and I think that's the point. We can't just hold people accountable for everything they, they've done. Let, let's get to the issue of, okay, in terms of nailing and turning the whole thing unconstitutional, do you think it would succeed? I can't see us failing. I can't see the constitutional court saying that it isn't a violation of the right to human dignity, which, by the way, is section one of the constitution. That means it is more powerful and more important than the Bill of Rights. This is the very first 
sentence mm. in the Constitution. Mm. It is unambiguous. It is not subject to what's called the limitation clause. It can't be departed from. Uh, then there is in the Bill of Rights, which is less powerful than the right to human dignity, the right, for example, to housing. Now, everybody assumes that means the government must give people housing. We will argue that it's the right to house yourself. I can't see the constitutional court saying that the right to housing doesn't include the right to provide your own house. Uh, I can't see the constitutional court saying people have to live in very healthy, unhealthy, dangerous conditions mm. without sewers, without clean water, uh, without safe electricity. Uh, so we, we, I would be very surprised if we lose this case. So the fact that that we have the right to what to, the right to live, the right to have a home. And that's not happening. Can that then turn around and say, well, then it's the government's fault? No, I don't think it's the government's fault that people aren't housed. It is the government's fault that it won't allow them to house themselves. That is their fault. And, and that is unacceptable and unconscionable. I can't think that the government can, in fact, house everybody. It doesn't have the resources. And it can't house everybody in decent housing conditions. But it certainly has to withdraw the laws that prevent people housing themselves decently. Uh, just by the way, I'm perfectly willing to respond to Victor's quite obvious personal ad hominem challenge. Uh, we know exactly what he has in mind, and I'm not one to shy away from that. Well, respond. Okay. Uh, what Victor, uh, I think, was up to... He wants to, to know your ethnicity. Yeah, uh, what he's up to is he wants to establish that I'm white, uh, as it happens, I can prove that I have Khoi ancestors. If that makes him any happier, I don't know, or sadder. Uh, he wants to know if I'm an Afrikaner. I'm not sure what the relevance of that is. Uh, I do speak fluent Afrikaans. If he wants to talk Afrikaans with me, I'm happy to do that. Uh, but I would like him to know that I do not use a language when I think, and I do not use my skin when I think. I use one thing and one thing only, and that's my brain. And his language and culture and skin color are as irrelevant to me as his eye color or his hair color or his height or his weight. Uh, they have nothing to do with his values or his thoughts. What he does seem to want to find out is what I did during apartheid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hate to have to say this. Uh, it shouldn't be relevant. Uh, but I was a very active member of the anti-apartheid movement. Uh, I have an impeccable record of the kind that he is trying to flesh out. And uh, I never voted until 1994 because I didn't consider the system legitimate. And uh, so if, if what he wants to do is say that I'm some kind of latter-day person who's found the mm. Lord or what did he call me, a born-again Christian or something, he's barking up the wrong tree and he's wanting to play a race and a personal card. He wants to be racially, uh, uh, he wants to insult me uh, because of my culture and my race and my history. If that's not his agenda, then hopefully he gets okay. back on well, the well, I'll tell you what. He tells he, us what it is. He's made his point and you've made yours. And by the way, we'll talk about race and and race classification after after nine o'clock. Leon Lowe with me, the big hitter, the director of the Free Market Foundation. Okay, let's get to the other big issue. Uh, your organization has a view, has a paper on land um, expropriation, right? What, what's your stance? Well, this is a very bizarre thing, and I think black South Africans, and very frankly all South Africans, white and black, are actually being defrauded in this debate. It has been cast as if it is some short-term temporary measure to redistribute ill-gotten white land 
white possessed and owned land at the moment that was uh, stolen or hijacked under apartheid into the hands of black South Africans. Let's understand something very, very clearly. Cyril Ramaphosa and the ANC and whoever is involved now will not be anywhere near an actual expropriation. Real expropriations are performed. So what they say about it won't harm agricultural production. But let, let me just step back. You're saying, comp- you're saying South Africans are being defrauded. Yes. By, yes. by whom? By the debate uh, th- that this is somehow to do with white land. It is about all property, everything including, for example, the biggest investor on the stock exchange owned overwhelmingly by black people, the PIC. Mm-hmm. All savings, all pension, everything you own is called under the Constitution property. And to expropriate property, not land, property without compensation means that the government will be empowered to take everything anyone owns, including what black South Africans gained after 1994, without compensation. If apartheid had anything wrong, it was that black people were expropriated without compensation. Surely black people don't want to live for the next 50 or the next 100 years back precisely where they were. Now, there's something almost nobody's mentioning. Right now, thousands of black people are expropriated without compensation on a virtually daily basis. Explain. As they were under apartheid. And that is, let's give you a simple example. If the council wants to build a park, a road, a school, a clinic, a hospital, or let's just take a simple example, uh, a road is being made from Durban to Pongola through KZN. When that road crosses what is now Mm -hmm. considered white-owned land, the owners are compensated. When it crosses black-occupied land, and I say occupied as opposed to owned, no one is compensated. So people who've built houses and shops and farms. So you're saying that that's happened now? Now. In the new South Africa, black people have their possessions, their land that they occupy, expropriated, without compensation because they don't have title deeds. They okay. don't have free old title. All, all that, I want, to, I want to pick up on that. I also want to get your thoughts as a listener and based, based on what, what you've heard Leon Lowe say, South Africans being defrauded. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. Do pick up on that hashtag and give me your comments. Mike from Newland saying, great guest, saddened that his clear logic reflects how poorly informed we South Africans are. Listeners sadly attack him and not his argument. And uh, Melly saying, so we can't have the land that is not being used. Instead, we want the one that is owned. Shouldn't we start with the land that is state-owned or unused? And I think that's that's one of the, the key issues that many others have brought up. But let's get to that issue of uh, KZN and, and the land cutting through to Pongola from, from Durban and, and your interesting point or Alex that you also made Leon uh, who's Leon though is the Free Market Foundation Executive Director he's our big hitter for the night so explain that you're saying because there's no title deeds you're saying it's happening now yes black it's people happening. mainly townships rural communities they don't get any compensation currently yes. white people would get compensation instead of introducing expropriation without compensation we should end it we should stop it we should say there's enough now we've had it under apartheid it's continued after apartheid let me give you another example the alex property owners rights association apor has submitted a submission saying that black south africans had their property in alex taken under apartheid without compensation in 1968. They still do not have it back. It now still belongs to the government. So when the government, the municipality, builds a community center in Alex, they might take 20 houses, 
people who lived there for many generations. Uh, they've built lovely houses. Some of, some of them are big, what we might call middle-class brick houses. Their shops and their community, uh, I mean, and their, their uh, taverns and so on and so forth. Their houses are taken without compensation. That should be ended. We shouldn't be talking about introducing expropriation without oh, compensation. But, 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 I mean, let, let me split it up there. No longer shouldn't, doing shouldn't it. Shouldn't they be compensated? Of course they why, why are we not even talking Of about course that? they should be. And the Alex Property Owners Rights Association has submitted in response to expropriation without compensation a submission saying, we have been victims of this. It must never be allowed to happen again to a black South African. Okay. That black South Africans ought to, we have to start protecting them in Alex right now where they are unprotected. Right. So you raise an issue which I think we need to develop further, not tonight, we'll do it with other people, to say, well, what about all those properties that were taken away? They have not been compensated. When will they be compensated? Anyway, we'll talk about that. But surely moving on to the future, in terms of the understanding of the ruling party, they, they, when they talk about expropriation without compensation, they are talking about white land, aren't they? In, that's, in terms of the that's the narrative and the rhetoric, but we must understand that firstly, white land values have not fallen. In other words, white commercial farmers simply do not believe it's actually going to happen, and they're probably right. I do not expect somebody living in Bryanston to have their property expropriated without compensation. In other words, if we say 20 years from now, who will have been the victims? I have no doubt it will overwhelmingly be black South Africans by a very, very big margin. And the reason is quite simple. Rich people, regardless of rate, black or white. I mean, there's a, there's a mm -hmm. guy who owns a big commercial farm near Vokestrum who I spoke to recently called Norman. And whether he or does or doesn't get expropriated, the point is that rich people can defend themselves. Their government will be In up against legal. Yeah, they'll be up against one hell of a fight if they try to take your house in Branston without compensation. However, if they take a house from my retired housekeeper Gladys and Corsi living in Ivory Park without compensation, what will she do? She will be defenseless. And remember that these are thousands of petty government officials who have this power. They will be able to be corrupt. They will be able to victimize people they don't like because of their religion or their gender but, or but their why, race why, or their respect, politics. Why, why are we being so pessimistic about them ahead of the event? Because you, the whole point about a free society and a democracy is you don't want to give ordinary officials that much power over civilians. Uh, you, Do you, you, think, you think we will give it to them? Because what, what I'm picking up on when you say they will be so corrupt, and I'm picking up that call we had earlier from Victor suggesting because of who you are, you have a certain philosophy and he doesn't like it. How would we know they corrupt before they corrupt? No, hold on a sec. If you give, let's call it, I don't know how many, but let's say, for example, 10,000 officials in South Africa at the lowest level in Pofader and Babanongo mm -hmm. will have the power to expropriate without compensation. It would be very surprising if that is not manifested itself in the abuse of power, in corruption, in extortion, in blackmail, whatever, victimization of someone they just don't happen to like. Now, the way to protect ourselves is not to have the power, is to say that they have to follow due process, that they have to compensate people whose property 
shops, houses, livestock, land, motor vehicles, buckies, trucks. My friend uh, Oscar and Lovu, who has a company, a great company, called Simply Rugs, he has a bucky and he does rug work. Uh, his, his business can be expropriated without compensation by a junior government official. We should not tempt that official with that power. I'm not saying the official will be corrupt. I'm saying that you should never give somebody okay. that power because you create corruption. I'm going to get to calls. Tao, I'm going to get to you, and we've just lost you. Call back immediately. Tao, I will take your call. 089 Very interesting discussion around many issues, economy, uh, informal settlements or squatter camps or slums, as Leon Lomé well described it, and then the issue of land as well. So having said all of that, do you agree that the issue of land must be resolved? Oh, yes. As a starting point. Absolutely. Let me make this very clear. Firstly, we gave evidence uh, right in 1992 or 3 when the Constitution was being written saying there should be no cutoff date, not 1913. Anyone who can show that their land was taken without compensation under apartheid Mm. or doesn't even have to have anything to do with apartheid. Anybody who has been unjustly dispossessed of any of their property should be reinstated. That is why everyone in Alex Township now should get their houses and their land back from the Johannesburg City Council. That would be restitution. So we firstly want restitution. Secondly, in terms of how many black South Africans end up owning land under what we might call transformation, uh, we must be excited about something that's very, very important. Over half of all property transactions right now are black South African buyers. Black South Africans are buying land by the tens of thousands. This is wonderful, and they should be buying that land with full property rights. So transformation through the market is a fantastic process, and this shouldn't surprise anybody. Okay. Apartheid well, prevented it. You remove apartheid, you should expect it. Okay, but, but the, the, the other principle, which is if your land was stolen, that would fall under restitution. Absolutely. And, and then, then you get it back because it was always your land. We'll non-debatable. Get, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that yeah. in a second. I think there's, there's a very important distinction between, uh, between restitution and then just transformation or, or general expropriation. Okay, some calls... Um, Sabello, let's get your thoughts. Hi, welcome to the show. Sabello, hello. Hi. Yes, you're, uh, you're on the air. No, thank you very much. Uh, I think what this guest is doing is to contrast what South Africa wants to do at the macro level. That is the special design of South Africa in totality. Contrasting that with the contradictions that might happen at the micro level, meaning a road crossing from one city to another. Yes, it will pass through people's properties, but that is to design the macro, a special design of South Africa. Now, to contrast the two is quite sneaky because what it does is it points out the contradictions that many of us would say, no, we don't want to live with. But what we must accept is that South Africa was designed to cater for a few. The cities and how they are designed, they are to cater for only minorities. So to cater for the majority of South Africans, many of us must make the kind of sacrifices that, unfortunately, your guest doesn't seem to grasp that um, we are in the process of nation building. And what that might require is that there might be sacrifices on both sides. Okay, got that. We'll get a response. Uh, Jonathan, we'll get to you in a minute. Uh, Respond to Sabello. Leon? 
Yes, Sabella wants uh, conf- sacrifices on what he calls both sides. I'm mm. not sure quite mm. what that means. If he means the largely rich who live in cities, which now include something like six million black South Africans in the middle class, I presume they're on the one side, mm-hmm. and everyone who's not in the middle class or in the upper class, so-called, is on the other side, in other words, the side of mm-hmm. the poor. Uh, I, I don't think anyone needs to make sacrifices. I think what people need to do is have a rapidly growing economy and in which everybody benefits. And let me just give you a simple statistic which people need to get their brain around. Had we been growing since 1994 at the growth rate of, say, India or China, over 7%. If we were growing at 7%, the, the, the GDP of South Africa, the average wealth of South Africa, would now be, uh, let me just do a quick mental calculation, four times what it is. It would be something like $25,000 per South African. It is now, in fact, below 5000 In other words, all South Africans would be substantially wealthier if we had a flourishing, booming economy. Why, why did that not happen? Uh, because, well, it started in the beginning, in the, in the Mandela years, and it carried on a bit in the Mbeki years. We had very respectable high growth <coughs> rates uh, that would by now have doubled and trebled the, the average South African's wealth. Uh, then, unfortunately, in the Mbeki years and even more in the Zuma years, our economy stagnated and our growth rate went essentially to zero. In other words, over the last 10 or 15 years, South Africans have not gained on average. Uh, what has happened, actually, is that there has, in fact, been some transformation, not enough for my sake, and part of that is the high level of regulation. Again, one simple example, the financial services regulations are so complicated that it is virtually impossible for black people or white people, any newcomer, to get into the financial services sector. Uh, They boasted to Parliament in 2014 that they had deregistered something like 15,000 financial service providers. Mm, mm, mm. You guess what race they were. You guess what race their their customers and clients were. Not one single well-known financial service provider, bank or insurer, was deregistered. It was all emerging black South Africans, or largely emerging black South Africans. So what the government has to do is stop harming black people. That's the first and best thing to do if you want transformation. Stop preventing it. Okay, so so here's the thought. Many people believe that outside the issue of, of land restitution, which means lands that belong to you that you want back, and that's fine. For the rest, people need land because land and, and having a title gives you an asset that you can either work the land or you can mortgage against to raise other capital. And that and we all have been in that, whether you're paying a bond or not, it gives you certain equity and that's why it's so important. In in, in a world that, that's looking towards a what is now called the fourth industrial revolution, is, is that the big commodity? Is land still the number one thing that people need to ensure that, that those people who are at the at the bottom end of this big divide between rich and poor needs to get to a wealthier position? Is land what they need or is something else what they need? Uh, land is important and we run the Kaya Lum project, which means my home, and its objective is to get all black South Africans title deeds for the land they presently occupy. We're talking about 5 to 10 million homes. And uh, so that is important and we value it as important. But land uh, is less and less important 
important as the world progresses technologically. Obviously, in the in primitive societies, it's everything that you you have to have land to survive. In advanced societies, you can live on the hundredth floor of an apartment block in Manhattan uh, as a tenant. So we, we do need land. We do need land, but it's not as critical as it once was. And let's understand that most people want to be in cities. I was at a school, for example, talk of uh, Pongola up in the Makatini mm-hmm. Flats two weeks ago, and they do an annual survey asking the black uh, students, all of them are happen to be black, in a high school, when they leave school, what their dream is, what they want to do. And we were given the breakdown over the last six or seven years of the survey being done. And they want to be lawyers and doctors and accountants and nurses and teachers from and artisans. From Pongola, from the Makatini Flats, not one in six years has said they want to farm. Okay. Not one. Wow. On that, on that point, just hope. Uh, let, let, let's hope and, and, and let's see what happens in a moment because my guest now is Mosiwa Lakota from Cope calling in. Uh, good chatting to you once again. Hi. Hi. Thank, thanks for calling in. What, 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 what point would you like to make? Well, the first point I'd like to make is that all, sorry, let me just uh, pull down this phone down, this radio down. The first point I'd like to make is that one of the most difficult tasks in life is to work the soil. And the proceeds come at a very slow pace. And they are very uncertain. When drought hits, you have nothing. Most of our people are living from hand to mouth. Most of them want residential land, etc., etc. At the moment, Section 25 of the Constitution... The first provision it makes at section, at subsection 7 is that all the people who can produce evidence that their land was taken, whether it was Alex where plots were taken or Everton mm-hmm. or any places like that, we must just get the, the title deeds. Many people think that these lands that were taken from people were given as freebies to whites. This is nonsense. It's, okay. it's all in the deeds offices. That's why we wrote it in the Constitution that bring us your, your title deed that you had okay. and we will quick, get it. Quick one. We, we're going to cross to the World Cup once again. What, why do you think so many people believe it was given as freebies to whites? I know it's made you very unpopular in terms of your positions, both in it's Parliament and outside. It's a why? myth, sir. It's a myth. It's a myth that has been... It's like stealing. To say that people, people came here and stole our land. The Higginots that came here running away from religious was from Europe. The indentured laborers that came from India to work here, who after they were freed from slavery or from indentured labor, and their grandparents had died, and they didn't know where they'd come from, they worked themselves to own the properties they own today. Even ourselves in the free state, Moshoshua signed the peace treaty for protectorate status and signed us off to the British in the same way that the Dutch signed off the Africaners that were here when the British defeated them in 1806. We are all the same, abandoned, because the government that got ruled over us were destroyed. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. No, but, no, no, let me but, just make but, this last yeah. point, sir. All right. The consequence of it is that we have been struggling from 1912, when the, the British declared us a union. South Africa is a modern state created by the British Parliament by the Act of 1910 of Union. All of us were now find, find ourselves here. 
What we need now is to find a just process by which we can ensure that, first of all, political rights for everybody, which we negotiated with Kodesh, okay. and, and all of that and so on. Now, to say you are going to take from Inkosi Zulu, for instance, the, the smallest portion of what used to be Zulu territory, and take it from, from him and so on, is to just open up wounds that will lead to bloodshed forever. Okay. Basutu, Batswana, the Swazi, signed the protectorate status, see their territories and their peoples to British rule, which has landed us here. Okay, let's, let, let's leave it at that, because we certainly want to get Leon Lowe's opinions. Thank, thank, you for, thank you for calling, and of course, we'll, we'll get you in one of the days again. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. All right, Leon Lowe with me. We're going to wrap up in five minutes. Leon, quick, quick response to Mosibola Kota. Yes, I think he's an extraordinarily insightful and brave man to take the position he does, which is a position of principle. And the fact that people criticize him for it, please note this. This is important. They are the racists. In other words, people who say his position should be a function of his race, that's racism. He, on the other hand, is saying my position is a function of my thoughts, my analysis. And we need to understand that when black people are required to have so-called black views, the ones who want that are the racists. Black people who take an independent, different position on any issue that is not a predictably racial issue are actually very brave and very The insightful. same would be with, with white thoughts. If we look at Frederick van Zell's slabbit all those years ago, it's interesting because Senegal were playing earlier, that, that meeting in Dakar, at that stage, you know, that was against the grain where many white people would have thought you need to think like a white person. Well, it? I'm honored to have been yeah. one of the you Dakar part of trackers. Yes, in fact, I delivered one of the four well, papers at Dakar. So okay. I, was a, I was a very much We a need to have a separate player. chat about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. And, and I don't think it's frankly, you know, I could say all sorts of things about my past and my mm. friends like, like uh, Bayes Nordia and Fonsal Slobitz and others. No, it's actually irrelevant. We need if you if you consider yourself enlightened and non-racial and non-sexist, you must stop thinking with your skin and your gender. Start thinking with your head. Okay, let's and, move on. And, and Monsieur Lacorta does that, and for that, uh, my tribute to him. Okay, we will talk about thinking in your skin, outside your skin, after nine o'clock. Looking forward to that discussion just now. Uh, give me so, so okay, quick one line: the, the solution for you in terms of what's win-win-win around the land issue. Okay, what's win-win is very, very simple, is they need to remove, firstly, most people want to urbanize, so we need to make urbanization simple, cheap, and quick, and we need to enable people who are poor and urban migrants to be able to get decent housing quickly and cheaply, either assisted or by themselves or both. Uh, as far as agricultural land is concerned, we need to actually stop bothering about who owns it. Let me make this counterintuitive point that the value of all agricultural, commercial agricultural land in South Africa is not very much. It's as much as one power station. So it's not a big deal. And this obsession with it mm-hmm. is actually a racial obsession. It's a case of not wanting white Afrikaners to be farmers uh, and uh, let them sell. So you're suggesting that's not the crown jewels either? No, no. Okay. The crown jewels is, is, is millions of pieces of land being owned, fully tradable, fully secure, no expropriation without compensation for millions of South Africans, most of whom are black, but being racial is actually irrelevant. 
Okay, let's talk about the economy. We we started with uh, with capitalism, and you made a point about the freedom to to make your own choices. What are your What's your take on on the South African? economic model it's really very simple you don't have to be clever it's not rocket science you can look up the economic freedom index of the world or look up any of the other index the world competitive index doesn't matter what the property rights they're doing business in all of these indices the freedom house index all show one simple thing that countries that have high levels of freedom of any kind democratic economic political property rights prosper they are rich and countries that have less freedom are poor. South Africa rose in freedom. We started becoming richer. We attracted investments. We created jobs after 1994. That followed 30 years of stagnation and okay. decline. What's, what's your and now about, what yeah. we need to do is look at what the winners do. They are in Africa. Africa is now the highest growth region in the world. They privatize and deregulate. It's, they move towards free markets. Which, give, give me one country in Africa that's a winner. Rwanda uh, is an example. Uh, came from a horrible poverty-stricken genocide to one of the glorious jewels of Africa, what I consider the Switzerland of Africa. Another one is Mauritius, uh, now one of the freest countries on earth, one of the freest economies, one of the most prosperous. It used to have about a quarter of our GDP per capita. We now have a quarter of its GDP okay, per capita. Is there, is there a country, whether it's south, west, north, or east amongst the bigger regions, that, that is adopting a socialist model um, that is not working because of that? As far as I know, no countries in the world are now moving towards socialism, whether it's North Korea or Cuba or any country, uh, uh, Central African Republic, they're all moving faster or slower towards free market economies. Some countries are regressing and they are stagnating. Venezuela did, for example, but it's no longer going towards socialism. Essentially, uh, free market, what you what you want to call capitalism, has triumphed in the world. It is a, a it's finished. It's a finished issue. Socialism okay. is yesterday's last, last idea. question in, in thirty seconds. Th there's a thought that to say in the South African model of a developing nation, the idea of a free market, just express yourself, is lopsided because those who don't have will not have, and therefore we have this lopsided position of so many white South Africans that still has the absolute levers on the economy 24 years in democracy. You know, there's one thing the poor know that the intellectuals don't, and that is where you want to be poor. The poor migrate always and everywhere in one and only one direction, from economies that are less free to economies that are more free. If you're going to be poor, you want to be free. You want to be poor in a free economy. And that is why people risk and lose their lives to go from socialist countries to capitalist countries, because that's where the poor are better off by every objective measure that is published and available. Life expectancy, access to health care, access to housing, safe water, education, literacy, all of the statistics show that everything is better in a freer economy. Okay, that's that's your viewpoint. Leon Lowe, you as a listener, will have your own viewpoint. You can tweet us, SAFM Viewpoint, and add agree or do not agree. Leon Lowe, thanks for your time. We didn't get into mining and cryptocurrency. We'll have another discussion about what that means, a whole new economy some other time. Leon Lowe from the Free Market Foundation, thank you for being our big hitter. So we're going to talk race in a moment. Let's get the news. It's 9 o'clock.